For those of you who are joining for the first time, this is a live episode of Contingent Workforce Radio brought to you by Utmost. Utmost is the extended workforce system built exclusively for Workday users to source, engage, and optimize spend for their extended workforce of contractors, contingent workers, and beyond. And today we have a special guest, Nancy Marin from Northwestern Mutual. But before I pass it over to the Nancy, I'm going to have both of them introduce themselves. And if you guys have any questions at any point during the show, click the Q&A button down below and then feel free to chat along the way. Let us know what your favorite 80s movies is, your least favorite 80s movie. And if you have questions anytime during the show, please feel free to drop in and we'll do our best. But thank you for all for joining. Awesome. Thanks, Saad. Hi, guys. It's Erica Novak, head of client services here for Utmost. Been with the company for about two years but again, a big lover and fan of contingent workforce and the total workforce movement. So thrilled to be here and thrilled to host uh, our next guest, Nancy. And so Nancy, why don't I have you introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure, absolutely. So I'm Nancy Marin. I've been with Northwestern Mutual uh, for about five and a half years. And I've had the pleasure of leading their contingent workforce program, but I'm certainly a contingent workforce veteran. I've been doing this for about <laughs> years. Worked on all sides of the coin, and yeah, I've had the privilege to be on the buyer's side for, for the last couple of years. So, really excited to be here. Hope you guys can see me okay. Oh, we can. It's a, it's a little muffled, but my guess is the guests are going to let us know if they couldn't understand your answer or if we need to go back. So, not, not a problem. But I'm thrilled to speak to you about these black hole programs because I think it's so real to really all contingent workforce program owners. And programs are really supposed to be built to streamline operations, make the process and quality better for all players. But mm -hmm. it's not really all the case if you and I were chatting about it, especially for the suppliers. And I think the crazy thing about it is that some teams really put their heads in the sand about it or they blame others. It's the managers, it's the suppliers, it's rogue behavior. And you and I have talked about that term and how we feel about, ah, rogueness. You're not following my rules. But it's become the dirty secret of the industry. And what I love about your message is that's really about ownership. You as a client or customer or company, it's your program, whether it's internal or utilize a third-party MSP, it's your operations. And this can be changed. This can be identified and changed if you focus on it and let it be about your team and not about blaming someone else for not following the rules. And so I'm excited to talk about these black hole programs today. But before we do, knowing that our listeners come from a variety of backgrounds, some this is their very first program or team focused on contingent, some are really seasoned. Kind of let's define our terms to kind of set the stage of who your team is and kind of what we're talking about. So for a little prep, can you talk a little bit about your program at Northwestern Mutual and are you an internal program, external program? Yep. So we are an internally managed program. Um, we sit under the talent acquisition umbrella. Um, it's done this way since inception. So for the last, you know, five plus years, we've been doing this. It's been an interesting journey for sure. But yeah, and, uh, you know, we, we strive to not be the black hole program. And I know everybody thinks of the Black Hole Program a little differently. I know, Erica, you did a little bit when we chatted, have a little bit of a definition. But when I think about it, I think about that program that um, nobody wants to submit candidates to because I never get feedback and the program team is a block and, you know, I'm better off just throwing my resume in the wind because I'm just not going to get anywhere. And that's certainly not um, what we want to be known for. No, and that's helpful. So to, to, to frame that, when you think about the black hole programs, you're thinking from the staffing supplier point of view, mm -hmm. it's when they're thinking about working with your program, they say, when I submit something, it goes into this proverbial black hole. I don't hear anything. 
nothing moves. So it just feels like I'm doing a lot of work and not getting anything back. Is that right? <laughs> All right. So let's get into why this actually happens. Because when you think about centralized candidate workforce programs, or when you actually put a team in place, whether it's internal or external, the goal, again, is about streamlining operations and efficiencies and kind of preventing things like that. So how does this actually happen and how do we start to avoid it? Yeah, so I, there's a fine line between I want to put in you know, coming to manage the program, right? If you think about, you know, before it was decentralized, let's say, right, and you want to centralize it. And there's going to be some processes and procedures that you need to have to centralize, right? And one of those may be that we're not going to allow our suppliers to have direct contact with our NM. But the reason that we do that is because I can't have my hiring managers getting five, six, seven different phone calls, right? Answering the same questions over and over, you know, and then you kind of get that outside of the system thing going on, which we'll talk a little bit about the road, right? So there, I think there are just some baseline, you know, hey, we're going to get a handle on this. We're going to deliver the value. There's some things that you need to, to have in place, right? But there's a fine line between, you know, hey, here's the guidelines, here's the reason for them. And kind of getting to that point where it's almost like a blockage to getting things done, and the controls become more important than the outcome. And, and that's where you don't want to get to. And I think that's such a good point because, again, like what, when I was at LinkedIn, we talked about being a talent enablement program with compliance, with yep. something else, but being the focus and having that idea of it's not just about controls for control's sake or for power's sake or for to say yes or no. It is about you're supposed to be an advocate for the business or an advocate for the supplier and an advocate to the manager. So one of the things that we talked about is acting as a recruiter within the program. Can you share a little bit more about your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I really see our suppliers as our recruiters, right? So in the firm side, they got, you know, a team of recruiters that recruits for, well, who recruits for contingent? Well, it's my suppliers, right? And if I want my recruiters, my suppliers to be successful, I do have to be an advocate for them, right? And I need to have them engaged and I want them to be motivated to give me their top candidates. So I definitely see them as really an extension of our team, our recruiters. And then, you know, my team is kind of that intermediary you know, they have to have a recruiter mindset as well. And most of them come from the staffing background. So they've been there, done that, right? And they put that hat on. And so they they know, you know, if you submit a candidate, hangs out there, manager does nothing, the next time that rec opens up, that supplier is going to go somewhere else. So and I think what you mentioned about kind of how you're staffing your team, they've been recruiters. I think when you were looking or when you're working with teams that have actually been in the staffing industry or been in this industry long enough, they recognize having been on that other side, what they're looking for or how things are prioritized. I think what a lot of CW programs don't come from is a staffing experience and recognizing when a staffing supplier puts you into the pool of their customers, they're very excited. People will talk to you about your logo and how important you are, but when it actually gets to the operations, you're tiered just like you're tiered, you tier them. Yeah. Right. So how easy is it to work on your program? Uh, what type of communication do they have? What's important to them? How successful are they going to be? And that's how much recruiting hours. And so when you have a team that actually understands how recruiters are making money or how staffing suppliers operationalize, it helps you understand to build a, a counter operation that actually emphasizes that versus conflicts again. So I love that to even hear that your team is made of people who've been on that other side to bring that other point of experience. 
Absolutely. It's a blessing and a curse, right? I mean, we emphasize with that, but then we also know we're like, let's talk about this technology a little bit. So when you think about setting up a, a centralized CW program, usually there's a, hey, have a team to really focus on this. And then typically there's a technology to help this. Are the technologies helping or not? I would say absolutely. And in fact, you know, when I think about the the VMS or the EWS of the future, it should enable more of that communication and more of that feedback and transparency for a program. You know, I think the suppliers would say probably the opposite, right? It's easier just to call the manager and get the feedback and all of that, which sometimes yes, sometimes no. But with your program, if you're managing the requisition and you're dispositioning those candidates, you're providing updates on the requisition, really that technology helps everybody kind of stay on the same page and prioritize accordingly. So, you know, without that visibility, without that tracking, without that kind of common system, it makes it a little bit more challenging, even though, or excuse me, it makes it less challenging, even though, you know, they can't go right to the manager, which is, you know, kind of the days of old, right? You deliver the manager, the, the resume to the desk. So. Yeah. And that makes sense when you think about the, the supplier who's going direct to the manager, because they want the voice, they want beyond the job description or the bad job description, like you and I talked about before. Some of the technologies are good because it's standardized job descriptions, but sometimes that actually makes people lazier. So they say, oh, there's three paragraphs that kind of tell about it, but it actually doesn't fit the bill. And so the, there's work the program team needs to do to be able to provide information back to the suppliers. So they don't need to reach out to it. So let's, let's kind of move forward to when you think about avoiding the black hole program, what are you telling your team to do? Yeah, so we start, um, every process starts with an intake call with my team and the hiring manager, and we're lacking in that job description. I mean, if my team couldn't go out and recruit for it themselves, we're not gonna push it out to the suppliers. That doesn't make any sense. And then we do intake calls with the, the suppliers and our managers for most of our requisitions. Some of our repeatable ones, we don't. But we want our suppliers to have the opportunity to ask those questions. And we want the manager to be giving them some selling points to the role as well. I mean, the work for talent is, is crazy, right? And we want to say, okay, manager, tell these suppliers, if you're talking to candidates, give them some nuggets, right? To get them over to Northwestern Mutual when they've got seven other offers sitting on their plate. So it's really a two-way dialogue. And I think that helps them either and also get excited about them going out and recruit for that role. That's good. Talk to me a little bit about the manager's role in this. So we talk, sometimes we push a lot onto, here's what we expect our suppliers to do. Or here's what we expect our team to do. What are you expecting the manager to do, right? It's kind of a three-way, it's a three-way street. If one, one of the arms isn't working, it's not working. So what do you put on the managers? They have to be engaged. They have to be. You have a requisition. You need somebody from your team. You are an active participant in this party. You can't just sit in the back and not talk to anybody. So yeah, I mean, we're, we're, I, I tell my team, you know, follow up consistently, you know, even if it's, you know, hey, I followed up two other times, didn't get anything, continue. You are an active participant in this. We want you to be on the supplier call. We want you to be dispositioning on those candidates. And we repeatedly are training them on best practices. We also have, uh, it's called a monthly manager forum. And we invite all of our contingent hiring leaders and talk about best practices. We do training on our VMS, all that good stuff. But we also talk about success stories. So what are some of the really strong contingent hiring managers doing that's, that are um, helping to make them really successful in their hiring process? And when your peers kind of hear, you know, oh, my peer is doing this, 
oh, okay, yeah, I could do that. Or, you know, yeah, then maybe I might run into them and be like, hey, tell me a little bit more about, you know, how you worked through that process. I think I struggled. Mine took too long. You know, how did you get yours through so quickly? But we've actually had managers that have spoken um, on the forum as well and said, yeah, here was the process that I did. And, you know, I went rough to, you know, button seat in this amount of time and was really happy with it. So we try to give them some good positive examples of, Here's what you can do as a hiring leader to really participate and be successful. Share a little bit about the SLAs because I think it's going to be interesting to people who, again, I think there's different types of leaders in the contingent workforce world and some have no problem being an advocate and an influencer. And sometimes it's going to sound, and I'll say a nose bopper versus a pistol whipper, but the idea of saying, these are my colleagues, you need to act in this way. So you would, you would share with me a little bit about the SLAs that you say, managers, you, this is your end of the bargain. Otherwise we're closing your rec. We're not working on it until you come back. So I think you can share a couple of examples of that that may get the other contingent workforce program buyers like intrigued about what they could do for their program. Yeah, I mean, you you have to. It, it's awkward. I mean, nobody wants to be the meme mommy, right? Like, <laughs> if they need to talk to the actual meme mommy, like, I'm cool with that too, right? But, you know, I wouldn't ask you to start some work and then completely disappear on you, right? So, you know, it's the same. Yeah, you can't start something with me and then completely disappear on me. We're in this together. It's a team effort. You know, in setting those expectations up front and then following through, I mean, Hey, if you haven't done anything on this rec in two weeks, you had an interview two weeks ago and never gave feedback, I'm going to hold that. And then we can talk about it later. And it, it, yeah, I mean, I definitely power my team and we haven't had anybody scream about it too much, but you know, I'm, I provide the air cover. I, I don't, you know, otherwise you do, you get into that black hole program, right? And sometimes managers themselves kind of get that reputation, unfortunately, and we'll have conversations with them of, you know, the last seven times you opened, you know, you waited this long, you didn't get feedback. And in the meantime, those same candidates actually got hired in a different department. And, you know, here's why, right? So sometimes it's just even that one-on-one -on -one kind of, you know, in a delicate way, you're getting this reputation for being a black hole, right? So don't, you know, here's some things that you can do that, you know, will help you along the way. And that's something similar to what we did you know, previously where it was managers, the expectation is within two days, you have feedback. The expectation is if we've sent you this many, th this many cannons, there's been nothing. We're going to close it. It used to, we used to start at like a week. So if we've sent you resumes and you haven't responded within a week and we've reached out twice, we're putting your rec on hold. Mm -hmm. Right. And after two weeks, we're closing it and you have to go back and get approvals. Well, knowing that even, you know, we can reopen the rec, use their approvals and it's fine, but something to show that if they don't, that means we're moving on as well. Cause it's again, something that when you think about the internal CW team, your guys's team and time matters, right? Yeah. Having you guys try to find 17 folks who aren't responding back versus focusing on the, the managers that are. And to your earlier point of when you're actually able to show what other successful managers have done and why they're successful, it does light up. But sometimes again, it's the care of the stick with different managers. Yeah on which one you do. And so again, I highly encourage other CW programs to say like, be an advocate for your program. Mm -hmm. People treat you to the level that you allow them to. And so you say, hey, here's what it takes. Typically the managers rise up and say, I actually want that because you can show success. And so having SLA on managers, I think is a really good thing on all parts. We used to have it where we would show, we can get your recs filled in two weeks if here's what you meet and we can get it filled in six weeks if these yeah. are the delays that happen. And it kind of eye opens, right? Cause they do that with the employee side. The recruiters yeah. will talk out. So like 
having the CW team sometimes mirror what the, re- the recruiting side or employee side is doing help is helpful. Talk a little bit about you said the mean mommy, right? I want to dig into that because again, I do believe sometimes CW programs are a little scared to have hard conversations and bring data into what you had originally said is seven of your recs have gone unfulfilled because you've canceled 14 interviews or something like that. Talk about the different relationship that your team has because you are an internal MSP with these managers versus the external MSP trying to have the same conversation with these managers. Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the things that's nice about our talent is um, we can easily tie what that person is going to be working on, what that opening is for to strategic priorities of the company, right? And so it's a little bit easier for us as we, you know, kind of sit in on different internal town halls and things with department leaders and kind of understand their priorities. You know, so it's a little different. You're having a conversation and saying, hey, I know that this is a huge priority that needs to get done by September. So we're going to go on this. I'm going to get with the suppliers. We're going to be aggressive, but here's what I need from you. And you kind of make that tie for them because they want to deliver on that priority, right? So it's not just, hey, here's the best way to fill your breath, but here's really what's going to get you to that strategic priority, moving quickly, giving that feedback, giving that good job description up front, having that supplier call so we get you the right candidates out of the gate. And so we kind of motivate a little bit like that. We also actually have a full Tableau dashboard time to fill, and we can sort it by hiring leader. And we have in the past constructively shared that with their HR business partners where we've had some struggles and just said, you know, I don't know how this person's team is doing, what the dynamic, the flow is going. There's some concerns that we have about some of their contingent hiring habits, you know, and kind of let them have those conversations with, you know, how are you staffing your team, right? If you're lagging behind, you know, that might be an indicator of why. Or maybe it's, you know, yeah, after they had 10 firm racks open at the same time, you probably shouldn't have tried to hire, you know, 16 people at the same time. And that's another conversation that they did. So we definitely tap them on the shoulder quite often for things like that. I like that for a couple of reasons. One is you're bringing data to an emotional conversation, right? Like anytime you go in and say, you're not doing this people's levels go up, right? I'm overworked. You don't know. I'm hiring for employees too. So anytime you kind of come in saying you're not, you're not, but you're able to bring data, kind of bring it down. Like just the data speaks for itself. The other thing that I really like that you just said is by looping in the HRBP, right? It's a different type of conversation because they're going to have, it's going to be among several other things. Maybe they have a view or visibility into some other conversations, priorities, projects, that you don't mm-hmm. and you're enabling them right to speak on your behalf and kind of take the tone but it's in partnership as well so i like that as well because you're able to to arm them with information and then have them come back and say all right i didn't realize i'm making this up they have 17 contracts out they're trying to interview 14 people internally or they're on the hook for some sort of deadline this is the why and then you have a con- okay great let's put it on pause or so but having it not always just be a one-on-one but a across HR of, hey, we're trying to tend to your talent needs. Mm-hmm. Help us understand what's going on. But let's go back into some of the tactics. Again, what I want the CW program owners to hear is going back to their SOPs and saying, how am I doing this versus what Nancy's kind of sharing or so. So we've hit about, we've hit about having a, a good manager intake call and vetting the job description and making sure that you're, you're setting up SLAs with your staffing suppliers while your managers. Let's talk about rec and supplier strategy. I, I loved your, how you guys facilitating 
your supplier, kind of like your supplier list, as well as how you're engaging them with Rex. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So we purposefully keep our supplier list um, small and condensed for the reason that we don't want them to feel like you're one of 50 of filling this requisition. And then we go to their, to do their PDRs and they set up those SLAs and those benchmarks for them. The, the benchmarks are thought through on the basis of in the category that you support the most, how many other suppliers are you competing against? And what would we consider a true kind of competitive bid breakdown of wind in each of the categories, right? Which is very different than, again, if you're one of 50. But we want them to be engaged. And the other thing that's cool, we do show this the, the manager name on our requisition in our tool. Because we want them to know that when Nancy Murray opens another Java developer need, oh, I worked on that one the last time. And she hated all my candidates that came from over here because she hired this one from over here. And that helps them be more efficient, right? You know, maybe they were on that supplier call already and they don't even necessarily need to get on a second one because they know the manager, they know the area, um, and it just helps them be more efficient as well. I mean, we don't, we don't have anything, you know, to hide necessarily, right? You know, we trust that they're not going to contact that manager because if we're doing our jobs, we're providing enough touch points for them where they're confident to do their job. No, and I'm, I'm so with that. I think the idea of vendor neutrality has become really twisted into every supplier is bad and you can't show them any information or take advantage of it. And, and to be fair, there is 5% of suppliers. Absolutely. You're right. But that's not how we should actually be operating our programs for that 5%. I'm a big believer of, again, capitalism. If you have suppliers that are doing well, you do want to continue sending them the wreck. Vendor neutral doesn't mean everyone gets an equal playing field. It doesn't mean everyone gets the same rec. So I love that you said is there's a small population that's supporting, I'm making this up, Python development, right? In California, there is a, there's a kind of a reciprocity, right? Where it's, I see you staffing supplier X. You're not one of 50. I am expecting you to fill this. And because I see you, you get to see me a little bit and know the manager and know what's going on. And so if we do do these again, you're likely going to get an, a, a higher percentage choice of, of feeling this and getting this wreck again, because we're saying, hey, there's some mutual accountability on that. So I love that you're keeping it small and tight. So we think about supplier optimization. It's not take it from 200 suppliers to hundred. Now I know it's always, there's a path to get there. So, but the end is, do you actually know who your suppliers and do they know you? Can you share a little bit about your weekly call? So you have, now you have a, a good supplier category list. You're talking about which wrecks they're getting. Share a little bit about your weekly call. Yes, we do have weekly calls with um, the two major skill categories, suppliers, and we, it's really about, it, it just goes back to the open communication, but it's prioritization. And the person, Jennifer on my team who runs our technical side calls does a great job of going through the recs and saying, okay, here's the five that prioritize. The manager's moving, it's hot, let's get this filled, and I'm promising you that, you know, and I'm just going to move on to these. Here's the next 10 that yeah, we're having some slow issues over here. You know, so just helping them to prioritize each week, you know, especially if we've got a large volume like we do right now, you know, instead of just kind of picking and choosing, I mean, yeah, we want you to support, but, you know, here's kind of the priority, here's sort of in the middle, and then, you know, these eight are probably going to get closed because this manager's not responding. So we want to make sure that we're helping them understand where to spend their time, which is, it's worth it to us, and it's obviously worth it. Uh, I like what you shared before is they have visibility to all. So you're 
when you're thinking about that weekly call is all the suppliers who all the tier one suppliers are on there and they can hear about recs that they're not getting as well as the recs that they are getting. So they have full visibility into what's going on. Now, my guess is all the business development account managers are, you know, pounding on the door saying, why can't I have these or so, but you kind of go back to what your rec strategy is of keeping it small. So they have a high percentage of actually getting this rec filled. They do well, then fantastic. What about, what about the niche skills? I hear a lot of people say, well, what about that one-off? My supplier won't join this weekly call if they're only getting it. So what do you do with the companies or the, the staffing partners that you have that you use for very niche skills, but it's not as constant as a weekly call? Yeah, we do. I mean, you know, obviously there's, there's email follow-up that happens. We use the chat feature in our tool as well, just provide some updates so people aren't wondering if it's one of those types of requisitions or if it's between supplier calls and we're like, it looks like this one's going to come off, you know, off hold, start prioritizing again, or, you know, maybe scale back on this one. I know I said it was hot, but the manager might go firm or something like that. So it's kind of a, it's a constant communication. But yeah, I mean, it's a little bit more work, quite frankly, to, you know, different pockets of niche. There's a time and a place for niche, but we really, really try to keep them to a minimum because it does take a little bit more time to support and manage. Now, I don't want to say this for everyone. That's okay. (laughs) I think everyone at some point is always looking to become so efficient that they lose the relationship, right? That they lose, well, do I want to? Can this just be an email or so? And I would say... In roles and responsibilities, when you think about what you're building, I think it's okay to say, all right, this is going to be, I'm making this up, 10% is going to be relational check-ins where I'm calling or on on Zoom meetings or I'm having lunch with folks. Because to your point, having these one-offs do take more time, but you absolutely want them to be in a great spot when you do need them, right? And what I think about kind of what comes next, we think about the rogue supplier. So that's where I start to see that unintended consequence. Um, the efficiency then kind of kills you at the end but let's go back to one more tactic again we talk about what are some things people can do or change and so talk to me a little bit about the vendor surveys that you work with your suppliers on and how your team uses this information yeah so we did last year we did a vendor survey and we basically said you know how do we rank compared to your other customers Um, or do we give you good feedback what else do you want to see and they were very very happy you know, we did get some good feedback. I don't know if maybe they were a little afraid to tell us that we suck, but we do ask in QBRs as well, you know, is there anything else that we can be doing? You know, we ask how are we comparing to other clients? And and I've noticed over the years that they've just become more candid with us. So, you know, hey, we have these candidates submitted for you guys and somebody asked down the street, they actually moved a little bit faster and we lost three people. And we're like, that is so good to know. It doesn't feel good, but if you don't tell me that, I can't fix it. So over time, you do develop that relationship where you can be a little bit more candid with people. Yeah, and I think that's and that's a thing that is a benefit of the internal MSP program where, because you're right, staffing suppliers or really any supplier is not thrilled to give bad feedback to their customer, fearing that it's going to be used against them, right? So usually it becomes like very bureaucratic or political or things are fine except for feedback. Feedback's the thing everyone always wants. More of better quality, faster time, you know, more depth or whatnot. But, but I think it is important. And I love to hear that your, your program has created a culture of there is a two-way street and that you'll actually do something with it once you hear it. Right. 
I think sometimes there's a lot of surveys that are sent out and go into their own black hole. <laughs> of, all right, that's great to know. And then nothing changes. Or you have a third party MSP who potentially are desensitized because they're working with so many suppliers across that they're like, yeah, we get it or whatnot, but here's how we maintain efficiency or cost savings. Yep. And that becomes a thing that makes it much more important to them versus quality or kind of cranking the dial on operations to make sure the suppliers are being successful. Like how that's not a metric for MSPs or CW programs, I think I think it's a huge miss. That's a gap in our industry of saying, does the staffing supplier feel supported by this program or nay or why not? And allowing them to provide harder feedback, right? Things that are, like you said, it's hard to hear, but it makes you better. So I'm going to applaud you for actually taking action on what they say. And so, oh, all right, cake on my face, but now let me go back to the team. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the, the term rogue supplier. You and I both, I think was nice. Like we hate it. I got podcasts on it. Like stop saying it. It's, it's about your program operations. People are going around you because you are not supporting in this way, but yeah. I want to I want to go back to something that you said earlier, where it was about because your team has come from the staffing agency, you understand how staffing operations work from the staffing supplier. Can you go into that a little bit more, knowing that some of our CW program owners don't know how staffing teams operations work and why it's important and how people get paid? I think that may shine some light on some things. Absolutely. Well, I mean, you know, most of them are, there's a commission component. So I'll just put that out there, you know, right there, right? If they don't get the butt in the seat, they're not going to get paid. And so I think when you talk about these, you know, rogue suppliers, I think what they're really thinking is, gosh, I know I have this great talent and they've got this centralized program and I don't fit anywhere with them. Well, I just want to get my person, you know, button seat. So I'm going to take the chance and I'm going to reach out to the manager, even if that means I'm making this other team mad, right? So you kind of have to think of it from their perspective. If you're too hard to work with, yeah, they're going to go around you guys. Hiring managers are thinking that same thing about you is this is just a bureaucratic black hole over there. Yeah, just send those resumes over to me. Then you've got two people that aren't happy with your service. Now they're working together and it's contradicting what you're wanting to do, right? So, you know, when we get those kind of one-offs, I call them, um, you know, the first thing we do is have a conversation with the hiring manager about, okay, tell me what intrigues me about the supplier. Tell me where you think our current supply base is lacking. And then let's have a conversation. And if we do kind of get to a mutual where we say, yeah, maybe they can provide something that we don't have, let's have a conversation with them. And then if they do get into the program, we set some expectations around how we work with new suppliers. We'll typically put them in a tier two to start off with. Uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, you know, I, I want my hiring managers to be happy. I want people to be able to fill the requisitions, right? I mean, I value the partnerships that we have, but if I've got a gap here and you can fill it, you know, if my existing supply base is leaving a gap, that's up to me to recognize and say, you've got to fill that gap. So, you know, I'm certainly never opposed to when the manager brings a new supplier to me, but I want to make sure that they're the right fit for the program and that it's not just, well, I used to work with this person over here, right? And I think sometimes, too, just having kind of that education with the, the hiring manager about why do we have a program? What is the benefit of working with our preferred suppliers? I think sometimes they just don't realize, well, why can't I just work with this person over here? So it's, it's always a really awkward conversation because a lot of times you find out about it after they've given them this great resume. My favorite is when they give them this great resume and then it's like, oh, this person's $400 an hour. And we don't do that at NM, by the way. I mean, if that's a good way to sell the ones, please don't do that. But it happens, you know. 
But yeah, I mean, I think you have to look a little bit internally and just say, you know, do, again, do I have a gap in my supply base or do I have a gap in understanding with my Oh yeah. The ATFs, right? The after the facts for those yeah. who are not in the industry, the ATFs. But I want to go back to what you earlier said, because I think this really is important for CW owners to know. Recruiters of staffing suppliers typically are not getting paid by how many resumes they submit to you yep. or the resume submittal to interview or the interview to hire. They get paid when they get someone placed. Hard stop. I need everyone to hear that because when you keep asking re- uh, recruiters to send more resumes and no feedback, or it's taking longer time, or I need more, that recruiter gets less and less interested. And typically it's the staffing suppliers account manager who's saying, come on, I just need a couple more. And guess what? The quality usually gets less and less and just becomes about, I'm ticking a box for someone on my team so we don't lose this account. But it's from the very get-go with that, when that rec is submitted and they received it, those are gonna be the top candidates that you're gonna receive. And unless you're giving speed, access, communication, or really good feedback, the quality is very likely going to go lower, especially if you have monster tiers or so. And so really recognizing your program needs to be built to get suppliers to get excited because they think they're going to get a win, right? Go back to how your company is prioritized at theirs. And that's very uncomfortable, I think, for big companies, right? What do you mean? I'm a brand name. I have a commercial on TV. Why wouldn't I be prioritized all the time? Hard stop. You're not, you are judged by your program and whether it's internally or externally run, you're judged on how your program sets people up for success. The Mm -hmm. longer those recs sit, the less, the least quality you're going to, you're going to get. And so again, I want to make sure that's really, really clear. I was talking with Saad about potentially another fireside chat where we have someone from staffing come in and be really honest and clear about how it actually works from their point of view, not from the MSP, not from the company point of view of how things actually get prioritized, completed, how many hours of recruiting does each rec yeah. I think it'd be, I think it would shock you. I think most po- people think I submit a rec and a recruiter's probably working on it for six, seven hours a day. And then they get it. And hey, why isn't 48, why is 48 hours too fast to get, you know, candidate submissions and right to represents? So I think there's a whole other yeah. piece we get to talk on that, but that's, when you yeah. think about black hole program, this is the part that starts to become like, you're chopping your arm off and you're becoming that black hole program because the recruiters submit and then they start to lose interest because of other priorities and better programs than you have. Mm-hmm. Oh, that got very sour and negative. All right, Nancy, bring it back up. Tell me, tell me what you think in a positive way. If we are to say, all right, suppliers, we're going to change our program. You gave us a couple tactical things from, from what you can do at Northwestern, but what else are the suppliers looking for? So what from the supplier point of view are they saying, dear God, please help me in this? Well, I mean, I think you hit it back. Like, dear God, if this candidate isn't, if this candidate who I truly believe is a great fit gets rejected, dear God, please tell me why. Because I mean, I don't, it's almost like, you know, you, you, you create something, you paint something, right? And like, nope, that's not right. Okay, well, what is it that you want me to do? Do you want me to paint it more blue? Do you want it to be more gray? You know, did you not like the drawing? Like, what is it about this that you didn't like? And you can't just expect people then to just go back to the drawing board with no idea of where they missed the mark. I mean, that's just, it's just not a good way to to really be engaged. And I know sometimes for managers, it's just not a good fit. 
no other candidates for a better match, you know, things like that, which is easy to do when you have 50 candidates, right? But if you've got, you know, we restrict our numbers to milk to three per supplier. So let's say we've got five working on it, the max we're going to get is 15. And, you know, typically we get a little bit less. Maybe we get a couple or just one from, you know, what have you. But the manager should be investing and kind of marking that time on their calendar to say, even if it's just first half, I, I know, you know, these are my top three and maybe not these, um, but you have to, have to, have to get that feedback. Um, that's the thing. And we still, I mean, it's, it's a work in progress all the time. People are busy, you know, maybe it's, they give you a one-liner about why they really work. We're still having those conversations and that's an age old, you know, maybe it's just another fireside chat about how do you feedback or why don't I give feedback and we have a hiring manager on, I don't know, but you know, I know what happens on the firm side as well sometimes, but you know, I think that's the number one, number one for them is just give me some feedback on this candidate so I can make sure I'm and that's what's so tough, I think, about this is where HR and legal and they and they have every right to be. So let me just say that out loud, HR and legal folks who put this into the systems, but it ties your arms a little bit because they say what can be captured in the tool. Right. To become a, oh, we don't trust our managers to write comments. So it's a drop down list and it's a drop down list of not a culture fit, not the right skill set. And I forget the other one or so. But then managers think, well, I did give you feedback. I use these drop-down lists. So I think it's a really good point when you're planning on the operations of your team and roles, responsibilities, and time, that time met with the manager and actually listening and hearing the feedback versus expecting it to come through the system or an email again, right? (laughs) HR and legal will say, no, you know, they've had, they've been bitten too much by things that have been written and used against them, right? Everything's subpoenable. So it comes down to as a CW team, how well are you able to listen to your managers and then put that information back in the supplier's hand versus trying to have this tool do it for you that we've kind of locked into a, it's safe, but not, doesn't have quality to it. I mean, mm-hmm. what do you think about that, Nancy? So we do have a comment when they reject a candidate that they just write feedback in there. And, but we, we do tell them is, you know, this is your place to give that constructive feedback, right? If you, I love everything about this candidate, but I really, really needed them to have X. Put that down. If it's, you know, hey, I asked for five years. You gave me three. They looked solid. I'm sorry. I really need that five. You know, take a minute to just write, even if you give them a sentence or two. It doesn't have to be, you know, a novel, but you know, the comment box is this big. And no, we don't want them to write crazy things on there. But we do want them to give constructive feedback. And, you know, it's also where my team comes in when they're following up on requisitions where maybe things are taking a little longer. We've had some rejected candidates, you know, give me some really concrete things. Let's pull out a couple of these resumes and tell me what you didn't like about them. You know, I looked at them and I thought they were solid. Why didn't you like them? Or if they did get to interview stage, what was it about the interview that didn't, didn't sit well with you? Or, you know, where did they fall short? And that is so invaluable, not only to the supplier, but for the candidate themselves. You know, they may think the interview went super well and then, you know, oh, yeah, I answered that question like this and what they're really looking for is more of this. Good to know, right? And it helps you grow professionally. So, so yeah, I mean, those are the questions that we're, we're asking too as, as we're grinding through the... Now, and this is a good way to segue kind of into, again, we know supplier management is time consuming. And we were talking a little bit about your team, right? And you talked about tactical to value, different activities of what you guys are measuring the team 
on what they're spending time. Can you share a little bit about how your team prioritizes the work that they're doing? Yeah, so they, they're also responsible for the supplier PBRs and I would be remiss if I didn't mention that as part of their supplier management duties, but you know, they are religious about those weekly calls. They are religious about those intake calls. And with those PBRs, I mean, they're responsible for looking at the data and saying, you know, here's what went well, here's what didn't, here's what we're looking for the next time and kind of coaching through that. And taking that extra time and doing that supplier management piece, which is, you know, a little bit outside of, you know, I know there's some programs that have somebody that just does that piece. You know, my team is interacting with those suppliers day after day, right? So they're kind of in the nitty gritty of it, but then they're also looking at the data holistically and kind of helping to coach them, you know, on the areas of opportunity. So it's really just an ongoing conversation and they're developing those relationships over time. And again, that's kind of where that candid feedback comes in as well for both sides. No, and I think that is true when, when you're thinking about an internal program versus an MSP. MSP, external MSPs typically have a whole team doing that on behalf of a bunch of customers versus, all right, this is, you are having to ask for headcount. So it's typically a blended role, right? They're gonna do this and that. And it is, a lot of it is focused on rep fulfillment, right? As a, as a first and primary role, you know, and supplier management's part of that, right? But then the, the after, the QBR, the metrics or whatnot, it takes time, it takes time, yeah. but it, it sounds like, Again, relationships matter. You're asking for feedback, transparency. You're having a couple different forums, right? I heard you talk about a manager forum. I heard you talk about a supplier QBR where you're trying to bring people together. So it's not just tactically through the tool or just about rec filling, rec, 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 rec. Share a little bit, because one of the things you and I chatted about before was your program as an internal program is measured differently than external MSP programs. And I thought that was really interesting because I'm a big believer in making sure our folks understand the staffing world's industry and how they're, how they're measured. I love you to compare and contrast the internal MSP program and how you're measured and the external MSP program and how they're measured. Because I think that sheds some good light into how things get done and prioritized as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, in the MSP world and the staffing world, it, you know, year over year revenue growth, year over year headcount growth, right? You're always looking to build the business, build the business, build the business. For us, sometimes it's a little bit of the opposite. We're like, no, okay, we're getting a little too much over budget, right? We know we need to scale, um, scale back. And our, our goals on an annual basis align up to our greater TA goals, which align up to our CHRO goals, which align up to our CEO goals, right? So we're working under the same strategic priorities that our um, organization is. And so what we do has to correlate to how are we in our roles, supporting the organization with its goals. And that's what we're measured on every year. So it's, it's very different. Um, and I, I go back to kind of the revenue thing. I mean, there have been times where, you know, we've had some cost initiatives, right? And so we had to stop and say, okay, how are we going to contribute to that? And it's actually taking, you know, taking money and headcount away versus it's, I'm not going to get my bonus this year because now this means my revenue growth isn't going to target. So it's a very different mindset. Oh, and again, you said a couple of good points on there where if your program gets smaller, that's not a failure when you're internal MSP program. You may be <laughs> someone's bonus or they may be seen as a failure because they didn't increase headcount or revenue or margin. Mm -hmm. It's managed by a third party. Like the definition of success changes. 
It's mm-hmm. more about, right. Again, like you talked about aligning up to your company's goals and should things be, you know, we talk about like build, borrow, buy, bot. You guys decided to invest a bunch of bots and headcount went down by making this up 30%. That wouldn't mean, oh, your program should go away. It's failing. It means that you guys have found efficiencies in different ways, but an external MSP, that would mean, oh no, we're at risk. How do we make that up somewhere? Should we sell them something else versus going back to the, again, I think about the core of what your programs are supposed to be. So that's interesting. Again, there is really interesting and especially talking about the alignment because we, you and I talked about before about sometimes things are too far outsourced with an external MSP where mm-hmm. they don't know. And again, this is where it's almost a reverse black hole, right? <laughs> like we're making up a different industry term. Like it's a reverse black hole. The company is shut out the staffing suppliers and MSP where they don't know where they fit or how they align or what the goals are. So they're making up on their own because there is no direction, right? They're too far outsourced to understand how to, how to support and be successful. So share a little bit. Let's talk about, let's, let's make up this term reverse black hole in the program. So what are things that companies are doing? that are making it hard for their programs to be successful? Well, you know, I think it goes back to the non-engagement, right? From yours. I mean, that's, that's your, your big, big get you gotcha right there is if you don't have that engagement and you're not putting those expectations and I'm going to use the term mean mommy again. I mean, there is a point where you have to say, I mean, hey, this is a partnership to get this built, right? So I, I, if we're engaged, you know, that in turn pulls in the staff and suppliers and you know, having those relationships, having that tight ship of suppliers, giving that transparency, you know who the hiring manager is. You know, I, I think that that just helps flip that upside down, right? And say, yeah, I know everything that's going on there. I mean, I've had suppliers ask me, you know, hey, um, I hear that this supplier is doing this over here. And I'll be like, yeah, yeah, they are, right? And by the way, where'd you hear that? You know, but I mean, Milwaukee, especially as a, you know, a small town, people know us around each other as well. You know, there's not much to hide from that perspective. So, yeah, I mean, we just try to be, you know, as transparent as we can. Yeah. And I like the example you gave before, too, about your suppliers know what's going on in Milwaukee, right? Okay. Typically speaking, everyone knows if there's a workday implementation going on, a workday roles are happening. Yeah. They know, right? And you want them to share that information with you. Oh, okay, you know, workday implementer role is really hot right now. We're probably going to see a 20% increase in bill rate. Like that's mm-hmm. not a bad thing. That's not a going outside my rate range and, a, you know, cause for a red flag. I'm doing something bad, right? This is, this is where the market is going. Let's get some insights going back and forth or, Hey, we're about to deploy six new projects, you know, to hit before I'm making this up Thanksgiving, Right. So we're going to have all these wrecks coming. Suppliers get ready. But like that two way street of information helps create, again, like that visibility versus the black hole. And that's, again, it goes back to that's what partnerships are supposed to be about. It wasn't supposed to be about this overly operationalized and over engineered 7,000 suppliers. It really was supposed to be who do I trust? Who understands me and my managers? How good are they at their job? Let's go. Right. Cause these are the people who make you successful, put butts, butts in seats. And I think, again, that's what they get. It's exciting to talk about what your program is doing, that you recognize these, these members are making you successful and they want to be partners. They don't want this black hole program. Yes. That's the, I would say that's probably the biggest insult somebody can give me about that. So yeah, I mean, again, you know, having my team coming from staffing, I come from staffing, you know, 
we feel it. We've got that empathy for them. And it's just, you know, we want to be that reverse black hole. For them. All right. We are running out of time, but I want to make sure you have a final word. What are some of the key takeaways or final pieces of advice that you would give to maybe a CW program owner who's just recognized that her program is a black hole? What would you say to them? Where'd you just start? Yeah, I would say, you know, start by, by digging in. Um, you know, part of getting out of that black hole is know what's going on with every single one of your requisitions. You know, I look to my team, we meet twice a week, we go through all the requisitions, give me the status. I just followed up yesterday. Yeah, that's cool. Follow up again tomorrow. You know, the worst thing is for a supplier to come to you and be like, what's going on with this requisition? You're like, I have no idea. You know, you are truly the manager of those requisitions, right? And we owe it to the suppliers. We owe it to the managers to know what's going on on either side at all times. And if you've got one that's dead in the water, take it out, move on to the next thing. When we look at our requisitions, we always start with the oldest ones first. And we, you know, my team hates it because we're constantly rehashing some of the same stuff, right? But at some point we have to make a make a decision of whether or not that's you know worth time on both sides. So I would say just start by digging in and like really managing every single requisition. And then you might have to go back to square one and say, we need to set better expectations up front. Or maybe we need to talk to our suppliers and say, you know, hey guys, you haven't submitted on these 16 requisitions. Why not? Is it because we know who the manager is and the last time they waited forever? Are we down on your priority list? Is this trade off and the neighbor is paying more for the same position? Really do a good amount of fact finding investigation. Find out what's going on that's causing it to be a black hole. No, I love it. All right, my dear. Thank you so much for chatting with us. This has been a pleasure. It's one of my favorite topics to talk about. We'd love to have you back towards the end of the year to see how things are going and how, how some of those those four mediums are going and more takeaways. So thank you for your time. Really appreciate it. And Saad, any last moments or last things you want to share with the audience? Yeah. So if you enjoyed this chat, you can find many, many, many more 40 episodes on Contingent Workforce Radio. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm going to drop a link to Apple Podcasts down below in the chat window. So go check us out. Uh, we have interviews with folks like Terry Kiley from Workday, Conrad Lico from Work Farmers Insurance. I, there's just so many. I think there's 20 or 30 people that we've interviewed over the past year, and we're coming on our one-year anniversary of Contingent Workforce Radio. So please subscribe, give us a rating. We hope to have you back next time, and we'll do another live episode soon. But thank you all for joining. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.